Well, I'm nearly finished. And now I'm recording. I'll do the claps. <laughs> yes! That's so apt! So, in what looks like it's rapidly becoming an annual tradition, Edgar came down to Bill's last night. He did. And we went to see the new Star Wars movie together. We, we saw Rogue One. The latest uh, Astral Conflicts tale. Um, and we're going to record an episode about it. So this episode will be... Well, what we're thinking right now is it's going to be entirely about Scoundrel Singular. We'll see We'll see how it develops. We might end up talking about other things. So it's going to be spoiler-tastic. So I suppose this is everyone's warning. Yeah. If you haven't seen the movie... Stop now, go to cinemas, and watch it, and come back and listen. Or unless you don't care about spoilers, and then, you know, feel free to listen. Um, but yeah, so, uh, where should we start with this? Should we start with, like, a brief plot synopsis? Okay. So yeah. let's paint a word picture for the listeners who haven't seen it, or do not wish to see it. Okay. Um, so, Rogue One is set between episodes three and four. Yeah, the end of the prequels and the start of the main trilogy. Of the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, and it's the story of Jin Erso, who's the daughter of um, a f- an Imperial weapons developer. Galen Erso. Galen Erso, yeah, yeah. who uh, was taken by back by the Empire 15 years before the, the main events of the story uh, to work on a secret project. And she hasn't seen her father in this time. And her father, the impression I got, her father, like, almost defected. Like, he left the Empire. He left for, a, like, a quieter life. Yeah. And then they reeled them back and in. And they, they, this sets the chain of events in motion. They reeled them back in, yeah. And she, so that happens when she's a little child. And she, um, uh, 15 years later, she's arrested under a false identity and gets broken out by the Rebel Alliance. And uh, gets caught up in galactic events again. Her father has seemingly sent a pilot who's defected from the Empire with information on the the super weapon that the Empire are building and wants to give this to to the Rebel Alliance. And that's I guess that's the the shortest possible version. Yeah, there's of more the premise. Yes, there's more to it. Obviously, there's, there's more, more, there's more to it. But that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's the premise. Um, when you say it, it sounds fierce, dull. But it really wasn't. What, what was your thoughts of the film? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, do you want to rank it in terms of the rest of the films? Um, it. I think it is the best Astral Conflicts film. Out of out of the eight, or out of the entire genre of Astral Conflict? <laughs> out, out of the eight. Um, bearing in mind that I, I haven't fully seen episode one. Um, yeah, you. I hear negative things about episode one from you. You don't, you don't seem to like it. Um, and... It's been a long time since I've seen a lot of the other ones, but I thought it was a superior film to The Force Awakens. Yeah. So this time last year, when we were in this very room recording last year's Christmas special, I was a little bit angry at Force Awakens. Uh, And this Rogue One is the movie I wish Force Awakens would be. I think it's better plot. Uh, It's Everything's constructed better. It's more compelling. It's more interesting. It's a really good film. For me, it's like, same with you, uh, the best out of the lot. Mm-hmm. Eight is the best out of that, which is kind of it's kind of weird that an anthology film becomes the best out of it. That feels strange. It feels yeah. odd. We feel like we're in the wrong world here. That we we say that an anthology film is the mm-hmm. best film out of them. 
but such is such a thing. Um, Should we maybe finish like describing the, the events of the plot? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so so Jin, who's this this main character, um, gets oh, I'm trying to remember all the names. Um, gets involved with the Rebel Alliance and uh, particularly an intelligence officer named Cassian Andor. He was what's that actor's name? Diego Luna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't recognize him at all, actually. Um, really? No, I, I didn't, didn't remember him for anything. Uh, turns out like, he has been in stuff I've seen, but I didn't, didn't register. Um, I thought he looked like a Mexican Tom Burke. I don't know who. Tom or, Burke is. he looks, he looks like Tom Burke, and he is Mexican. Who, who is Tom, Tom Burke, Burke, he's an English actor. He's in that the BBC Three Musketeers. All right, okay. Yeah, he's like, he plays Athos, I assume. Yeah, I think he plays Athos. Um. And they go off. So there's, there's kind of there's three main bits to it. They go to the planet of Jeddah, which is where the this defecting pilot has run to make contact with Forrest Whitaker. Uh, Saul. Saul Guerrero or something. Yeah, something like, yeah Forrest. We're going with Forrest Whitaker. Saul Guerrero, who is a veteran of the Clone Wars. I think he's a character from the Clone Wars cartoons. I heard that too in the yeah. lead up to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they go there, and that's very, uh, it's very classic Star Wars. It's like kind of Tatooine, the sort of space Orientalism, you know, Middle mm. Eastern city. Um, I really like that 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 whole thing. That was that was a good yep. bit. Uh, and then they go to a an Imperial base on the that moon rainy night planet. The rainy night. Yes, the rainy night. Um, and. There's all kind of intrigue about you know what the alliance actually want to do with this mission and her kind of thing with her father, and then at the end they go to uh, space Dubai. Um, yes, that's what I said to you in the cinema. Yeah. Space Dubai, uh, and they it's the actual scene where they break the plans for this super weapon out of the Imperial archives, and as we know at this stage, the the super weapon is the Death Star. Yeah, and it's so the the film is essentially the story of how. The the rebels have the plans for the Death Star at the beginning of a New Hope. How or two D two came to get those plans? Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, that's that's a pretty good synopsis. I have I have problems. I've a bit of confusion here. Yeah, is the the involvement of Forrest Whitaker and his gang? I don't understand what their role is. So Jin is Jin is off with the Alliance, the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, yeah. They're off, like they're not off like. By choice, necessarily. She gets broken out at, yeah. of prison at the start. And they're like, you, we need you to do this. Yeah. Uh, so they, they go. she goes with Rebel Alliance. But then they have to find Saul. And I found it really confusing as to whether or not Saul was a good guy or a bad guy. Like He was opposed to the Empire, but he wasn't a member of the Rebel Alliance. Okay, so the, so the impression I got, though, that he was like a splinter faction. From the Rebel Alliance. Something and, like that, I think. Okay, right, so I was correct about that. Yeah. And, I, and I think that the ambiguity I got from it is that maybe the Splinter Faction doesn't always do ethical tactics. I got that. That's a, that's yeah. why there's a difference between them and the Alliance. I found that bit a little bit... Well, yeah, It wasn't explained very well. It the, just kind of happened. And What was her name? One of the senators from the, the Rebel Alliance ref- like describes Saul as an extremist. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that, and that's why he doesn't get on with the alliance. Like he's just. So why is that Jin needed to go to Saul? Because the pilot that defected was sent by her father to Saul because he was an associate of Saul's. So the pilot that defected was sent by her father to Saul. Why was he sent to Saul? 
because he was saw and her father were associates. Okay. Because remember at the start when he gets taken back oh, by the, yeah. the Empire, it's Saul that like takes the little girl from hiding and, and raises her and stuff. Okay, now that makes sense. Yeah. Uh the the defecting pirate uh pilot pirate pilot. The defecting, the defecting pilot. I have a problem with him as well. Why is that? He was put in he was um put in from this monster that like reads thoughts. Yeah. And the thing was that once it's finished reading thoughts, it like breaks that person's mind. Yeah, that didn't really follow through. Oh yeah, it kind of came to nothing, didn't it? Yeah, that they were weird. like, "You'll have a bro, you'll be, you'll go insane." And then there's a bit where he's in the cell, and it looks like he's like he's unable to speak, and it looks like he's lost his mind. But then afterwards, he's a a fully corpus mentis character who actually like plots and schemes, and I was like, "That's oh, yeah. that was a bit strange." That was a bit strange. Yeah, I didn't really follow up on that, but like it's small criticism. Um, those were the two things I didn't get about the film. Mm-hmm. They were a bit confusing. Um, the Saw thing made sense to me, and I actually I really liked it that it it broke a very kind of straight dichotomy that it was just the rebel and the empire. It, like it, it, it's less simplistic than that, and the, the the conflict is more nuanced. And there's yeah. those who are opposed to the empire who are also opposed to the alliance. And yeah, like, I I enjoyed that that element. There was there was a thing you didn't like about the Saul storyline. Do you want to fill the listeners in how it ended? You were a bit like yeah. So <laughs> so we um we as I said it's it's about the the Death Star. How they're able to get the plans for the Death Star, and we see the Death Star in action quite a bit, and we see scenes on the Death Star with Grand Moff Tarkin, which was pretty cool. We'll talk about him in a second. Yeah, he's the next point up. Um, and anyway, at the end, the the Death Star fires on the planet where um. Uh, where they are, the Jedi, Jedi. Kind of, um, space Orientalism, um, and they have to escape. Like they're in Saul's compound, and they have to escape the good guys. And uh, Saul just doesn't go with them for no particular reason. He just kind of is like, "Oh no, my role is played," or "No, you have to go and fight your fight," or whatever. And that th- that kind of thing always really annoys me in films. Is it? Does that constitute as a Deus Ex Machina? In a way, like, no. he's there purely just to facilitate the plot. And I think Deus Ex Machina is when it happens at the end, and it okay. solves everything at the there end. There must be a term for that, like, because you see that an awful lot, where, like, that one character, is its only hmm. job there is to supply plot. Let's check TV tropes. In case any listeners are hearing a squeaky table, we are at a very squeaky table. And You're a squeaky table. Ah, it is a bit squeaky. You're a bit squeaky. I'm, I'm going to rattle it just to demonstrate. So if you hear any of that, listeners, we're really sorry. We're do- I'm doing my best. We're all doing our best to keep our hands to ourselves here. <laughs> what was I going to say? So yeah, so he just kind of like uh, like chooses death when he totally would have been able to, to survive. And it's, I know, all that kind of thing in films always really annoys me. Like, and it's not... There's no clear motivation for that. Yeah, and it's not like we're heavily invested in the Saul character. That like it's, there's an emotional impact for us. It just seems silly. Like, yeah, now maybe, maybe if you're... Uh, fan of the cartoons or whatever and but it has that impact you should kind of judge it on the merit of what you see on screen oh yeah not not every audience member is going like i like star wars but i haven't watched all the clone wars so i didn't know i didn't know about forrest whitaker's character outside of hearing random rumors on the internet well this seems to fall under on the tv jokes page nothing left to do but die he just (laughs) he decides to stay behind on jedda as the the uh shockwave of the the Death Star is Which was super cool. later. Cool. Yeah, no, it was cool. Like, was the, cool. like the Earth Earth tsunami. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome. badass. Um, I liked his I liked his shtick with the respirator. 
Um, yeah, it was kind of mysterious, wasn't it? it was yeah, I feel I feel like he's almost like the good version of Vader in a way. Like there, there's barely any of him left underneath that suit. Mm. And I bet you, like, because his leg was mechanical, wasn't it? Yeah, he had mechanical legs. Um, and then, like, obviously, something wrong with his lungs. So I'd imagine he's like ninety percent droid, mm. um, which I thought was cool. Like, it's an interesting story there. So maybe in the Clone Wars, that's a thing that's explored. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I didn't find that it was overly full of, like, fan references and, like, winks and annoying stuff like that. C-3PO at the end. Do you remember? We get a little little shot of C-3PO do, doing the Doctor Obvious nonsense. That was, yeah, no good. Do you remember that? Like, I was like, oh, why is everyone leaving? Like, we, we were always the last to know. That, that bit. Just something like that. He was just yeah. thrown in to be there. It's like, oh. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's fine. But, like, I mean, everyone knows who C-3PO is. Whereas, I mean, there's not. I didn't f- find it was, like, loads of references to loads of really obscure characters. Maybe they were, and I did, just didn't get them. Mm. But I, I, that's fine, because I didn't feel it was impenetrable. It wasn't like you had to be heavily invested in yeah. Star Wars and in all the lore for that stuff to make sense. You say this as if that was a problem in the previous movie. Was it a problem? Or you're just saying that I'm glad that that's not happening. It's a thing I can see easily happening right. when there's so much there. And I can't bring examples to mind there right now, but it's mm-hmm. a thing you do see in other films, like, you know, knowing winks to yeah. you know, bonus stuff for the um, for the, the real hardcore fans. But you can do it to an extent where it becomes impenetrable unless you are a hardcore fan. That is certainly not the case here. Yeah. I did it well, did it really well. Um so, what do we have? We have Forrest Whitaker. Oh, yeah, like Grand Moff Tarkin. We got to talk about Grand... Grand Moff? Am I pronouncing that right? Grand Moff Tarkin? Grand Moff is his title, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... James Tarkin. James Tarkin. It's probably not that. <laughs> John Tarkin. <laughs> so, Grand Moff Tarkin and... Um, Leia, Princess Leia, make an appearance... Yes. ...in this film. Yeah. And they are entirely CG, mm-hmm. and it is quite difficult to spot it. Yeah, it takes a good bit of time with Tarkin, where you're like, "Oh yeah, he's not real," because mm. they they really nailed it. Like, I'm pretty sure Peter Cushing's dead. Like, yeah, because he was owl, <laughs> he was in the original series or the original trilogy. Yeah, well, he was only in the first one, wasn't he? Was he only in the first one? I can't remember. I don't know if in the others. It's been a long time. I, if we're going to make this an annual tradition where we go and watch Star Wars, I'm going to need to rewatch all of them. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> oh, he was. Yes, he was. He died in 1994. So yeah, yeah. yeah, he's he's super dead. And so usually this sort of CG work falls into uncanny valley valley territory, mm-hmm. but like they did a really good job. Like it's not perfect by any means, and maybe it's something we'll look back on in like ten years and be like, "Wow, the CG wasn't great there," mm-hmm. but. Enough to suspend disbelief, like, because really impressed, mm-hmm. very, very impressed with that. Because that could have been, if that wasn't executed correctly, that would have been seen as like terrible lip service in a yeah. way. So I was very impressed. With I, that. I thought he was, I thought he was done well. Um, of course, and I said this to you yesterday. Uh, that has been done before, and this is about four or five years ago in the Social Network. The <laughs> the two characters, two characters, and the Winklevoss twins. And they're played by two different actors, but the first guy's face is CG'd onto the second guy's face. I thought about that, right? And maybe, maybe that was mind blowing at the time, but that doesn't seem like that takes that much technology because you can do that on Snapchat, can't you? Yeah, but not, not properly. But like what I'm saying, it's not that far of a leap from Snapchat to that. Whereas an entire CG person. 
I don't. I don't think the person was entirely CG. Were they like Cushing? I thought or Tarkin. I thought it was just like they did it with someone's face. Oh, I got the impression that it was all CG. Maybe. Well, if it is all CG, that's even better. Like the yeah. fact that we're having a discussion about whether or not it is. Yeah. It kind of speaks testament how well they did there. I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. Um, um, maybe. When I think of, and of course Tom Hardy in Legend because he plays. Although no, he does the whole performance of both of them. Basically, Tom Hardy plays both of the Kray twins in a film that came out about a year ago, a little okay. more than a year ago. Um, so he's playing twins, but they have scenes together. Yeah, but sure, that's been done since like the dawn of cinema. Like, <laughs> but it's just... done really, really well. Like, it's not like okay. like I could like I with my limited editing, I can make it so that Edgar appears like he's on screen with another Edgar. Like, this is not difficult stuff to do. <laughs> I, I think it was. I think that there must have been some kind of advanced trickery for the way it's done. Like, in if there was a scene where Tom Hardy hugs Tom Hardy, yeah, that's that's difficult. Yeah, but if it's a scene where Tom Hardy talks to Tom Hardy, that's not. Difficult. No, no, like they have like they like physically touch each other and stuff. Okay, so yeah, I think so. Anyway, that's interesting. There is. Do you know who Wheezy Waiter was? Is the name Wheezy Waiter? YouTuber. Yes, obviously. <laughs> um, I think so. Yeah. He appears on Crash Course sometimes. He does the politics thing. Is 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 his channel just kind of like really fun and goofy and it's like yeah yeah he's he, like a goofy daily vlogger but doesn't really show I don't know he just I know yeah I think another guy you mean there was one time he, and he does his shtick is that he has clones yeah yeah so there was one time he threw an item one of his clones threw an item to himself and there was no. There was no obvious cutaway. Wow! And both people were on screen, and like you, and you could track the path of the item the entire time, and it broke the comment section. People were like, "How is this? This is witchcraft!" And wow. it's like I missed it first time, and it's only through the comments that I went back and looked and went, "Ha!" Huh. And I couldn't figure out how it's done, cool. which is really that's it's rare that you, um, if you're into making YouTube videos or any videos at all, that you come across a scenario where you're like, "Yeah, I don't understand that. That's actually magic." Mm-hmm. Like that, that was cool. Um, but anyhow Grand Moff Tarkin and Leia really good CG uh, don't know how it's going to age but it dis- suspended disbelief which is great do you have any negative points about the film? Um, the thing about Saul just like oh well I guess I'll just die that kind of annoyed me Um, what else Jin seemed to really quickly forgive Cassian for you know they had a fight because Cassian had been ordered to kill her dad and he doesn't in the end mm. that's grand but she like seems to forgive him very quickly it's just kind of like they have a big fight about it and then it's like oh you okay, know it's fine we, we're not going to be angry about that anymore I'm I was okay with that because um, they have a fight prior to invading space Dubai mm. so I think the invasion of space Dubai uh, probably took priority yeah so that, you know, I'm sure if we had, if we, uh, if the movie continued an extra hour after the point at which it finished, and like, you know, the war settled down, then they'd be back to fighting. Mm. I didn't have too much problem like that, but I can see where you come from. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have very little, very, very little uh, to say bad about. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually the negative one in this podcast, like who hates everything. But like, I just like liking things. You do like liking things, whereas I like not liking things. But it's a great film, like. I I don't know the the thing you said about space um space orientalism yeah it kind of kind of bothers me a little bit yeah like I don't know it's a 
I don't know if I can put this into coherent words, but it's kind of like, we need it to be space-like. So let's make it Middle Eastern. It was a bit... Yeah, well, I think it's, it's we need it to be exotic. Yeah, but... And and that's that's a thing they've done for ages, like, is Tatooine yeah, and... Yeah, but, like, well, no, hang on, but Tatooine in the original thing wasn't... I didn't get the impression it was overtly Middle Eastern. Like, I know the, the buildings look Middle Eastern, and I know it's on a desert planet, but it's not like people dressed right. ostensibly Middle Eastern, mm. or that you'd have things like a souk, like, yeah. or that you'd have like incense, a lot of incense, you know what I mean? Like the, the stereotypical things we associate with the Middle East. Whereas I think Jeddah was a little bit a little bit too much like that. Yeah, it was, too, it was much closer. Too Middle Eastern. It's mm. kind of like, I don't know, it feels a bit, it feels sort of cheap. And also, can you not just come up with something entirely different? Yeah, no, that, that, that makes total sense to me. I, I, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. The the part of it is that Jed is meant to be a holy city, so it's it's directly yeah. in, inspired by Mecca, Mecca and Jerusalem. And that stuff was like a that. bit ham fisted, I thought. Mm. It's a little bit ham fisted, and then Jeddah is extremely close to um, a prominent Saudi Arabian city. I think it's yeah, it's, it's just called Jeddah. I, I think, think there is a city called Jeddah. Differently, yeah, yeah, I think so. So it's a bit a bit too close. Mm. I thought it was a bit tactless, like, but. But that's just the aloe to me. Like, I'm sure kids would just be like, I don't care. Like, it's, you know, it's great. It's a big holy city and lots of sand and yay. And I will say, though, that the geography of Jeddah was great. Like, the sort yeah, of, like, yeah. islands of rock protruding out of, like, the base sand. Was really yeah, good. big mesas and stuff. And you see, look, this is the thing. Like, again, much more interesting than New Tatooine, which lots of New Tatooine from... See, we don't even know now. We don't even care now. Um... But New Tatooine in Episode 7 was just like, it was just Tatooine. It was yeah. a desert planet. But this had something more unique to it. So much better. Yeah. So much better. Agreed. Should I bring up the point about Ray for the third time? Or is that too risque for the podcast? If you want. <laughs> mind. So, uh, one of the problems I had with Seven was the Ray character. Um, and I, I disliked her because I felt she was a bit Mary Sue-ish. Sexist. <laughs> All the hate comments. There's a lot. There was a lot of real nasty stuff written about her. Of course, yeah. And it's yeah. and it's silly. And I'm not. I'm not in that camp at all. But um, I was. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I was. She was a bit overpowered for me. A bit too awesome at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a bit too superhero-y. And I just thought it was like, I don't know, full lip service to equality in a way. I don't know if that's strong, but I kind of would have liked a more realistic and nuanced depiction of a strong female lead. I see what you mean, yeah. So instead of just making someone who's perfect, make someone who's the same, like, you know, equally powered and equally flawed as comparable male characters. Yeah, because, I mean, again, if we think about the idea that people will watch these films and they will see some of themselves in it, you know, they will use people like that as role models, you want to show that, like, it's okay to be flawed. You don't want to like you don't want to paint the image for a little girl watching Star Wars say to be like you must be perfect, so you know you know you want to be like you can be flawed and you mm. can overcome flaws like that's a healthy thing I think to discuss and not just like present this image of perfection. But in any case, uh, I don't know. That's what I feel. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm open to debate about that uh, completely. But I felt uh, Jin was everything I wanted Ray to be. Mm. She was like a like a real badass character, a real like fighter and stuff like that. But she wasn't like super amazing at everything. Yeah. And she just came across as a real likable, normal human person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I thought that was great. So I think if, if Ray, 
if Episode 7's Ray could have been more like Jin, I would have been much more on board with mm-hmm. The Force Awakens. What are your thoughts on that? I'm, uh, I mean... <laughs> completely sexist. <laughs> I, I... I would need to re-watch 7 to, to like, get to, to see... With that in mind, to see, like, wh- wh- whether I agree with that analysis of Ray, And then I'd need to compare it to the other films. Like, is she actually that much better than, say... Luke. Luke, yeah, yeah. Or is she actually that much better than... Well, well I guess she you know, hasn't you, turned out evil yet, like Anakin, but you know what I mean. Should we compare it to those films? Because they were written in a different time. Like, surely we should expect more of the films now than... Like, we don't want it to equal the original trilogy, and no, we want to be better than the original trilogy. We want to write stronger and better characters. Let me think about... I see what you're saying. I think, though, if... Those very tired audience. No, no, I'm not tired. I'm just trying, trying to make sure I'm going to say, say exactly what I mean. I think if we're going to have this criticism of it, then we should also... Cr- so I can't figure out how to phrase this at I've, all. I've broken Bill, folks. I've broken uh, Bill. <laughs> error, argument not found. Um, well, I, th- I think there would still be an issue there if people didn't criticise Luke for being... If Luke was as perfect as that, then you'd have to criticize. Nowadays, you'd have to say, "Well, you know, the film, the series has always been the series has always had ridiculous, okay. overpowered, perfect characters." Mm-hmm. Um, and you, yeah, times are different, but I think you'd still need to discuss it in the context of the series. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know why that was so hard for me to express. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I think, folks, Bill is actually very tired. <laughs> I, I'm not tired. I can I can say the alphabet backwards. So, uh, yeah, what else? What else you got on? Anything else you want to bring up on, on Rogue One? Um, First time we have a jungle-like environment, I think, in Star Wars. Oh, no, we have the jungle planet, Endor. When, no, Endor. En- well, Dubai, space Dubai. It's very nah, jungly. It's not jungle. It's, just, it's beachy. Oh, it's, I thought it was very jungly. Mm, I don't know. Mm. I got the impression it was jungly. Maybe okay. I'm totally wrong. But Endor is... It was, actually, it was actually filmed in the Maldives, I think. Really? I think so. Oh. Was, there any, was there any of Ireland? Yeah. L- L- Lamu Atoll in the Maldives was, was scary. No, we've got... Um, so, the Maldives, Iceland. I think that was the opening scene. See, was... I thought the opening might have been Ireland. But then all that black soil made me, yeah. made me suspicious. It's Iceland, apparently. Uh, Jordan was used for Jeddah. That makes sense because I was I was thinking of like Petra and stuff when I when I saw it. Um, uh, the Canary Wharf tube station was a chase scene in an Imperial base. Um, so that was uh, I think that that's that's it. That the, the main locations. Like what, what about yeah. the middle? The planet they went to in the middle. Which one was that now? The rainy planet where it was night. It's fine. We don't really experience much of that planet. It's not yeah. hard to tell. Like uh, it was okay. I, some of the climbing around the rocks was a bit implausible. Like, lash and rain, you're on an escarpment, and everyone's fine. It's kind of like, someone's gotta die just from falling off a thing. Um, also, uh, it's the... No, after you. And the complete lack of handrails, once again, in <laughs> Star Wars is hilarious. Like It's the first film that there hasn't been a Jedi in. The, okay, the Shaolin monk guy, was he some sort of, like, Jedi precursor? I don't, I don't think he was Force-sensitive. I think he was just, like... A martial artist. I thought that was really cool. He's yeah, just he like, was he's, really uh, cool. he's just Zatoichi, essentially. I don't know what Zatoichi is. Um, blind Japanese swordman film. 
So he's oh, okay. a yeah, blind guy who's a badass swordsman. Yeah, I, t- I don't know. So on, wait, wait, so this is in between three and four. Okay, yeah. so the Jedi's, the Jedi, Jedi's or Jedi? Jedi is plural, I think. Okay, so the know. Jedi all go AWOL at the end of three. Well. No, they all go AWOL at the end. Of... Yeah, they all go, they're all dead <laughs> and the ones who are remaining go AWOL at, yeah. at, at the end of three. So the universe has forgotten to some extent of, of about Jedi. Well, there's, there's a big Jedi fair. temple on Jeddah. I think I think that was a Jedi temple. Right, but it's not common to have Jedi around. Yeah, yeah, time. they're they're not common. Yeah. So, so he was a he was a member of like the Jedi religion, but just not a Jedi. I guess so. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Actually, rediscovering yeah. Jediism in a way after yeah. all the Jedi are gone, you are a a, a devotee, devotee. Yeah, a devotee of of the Jediism. That's that's interesting. I like that. Um. He struck me as being somewhat Jedi. I, I half expect him to whack out a lightsaber. Right. Like his his little rod had a little glowy bit at the end, and I was like, "We're getting very close to lightsaber." But I'm glad they didn't, which is awesome. And it made yeah. for when Vader flashed the lightsaber at the end, mm-hmm. it made that a lot cooler. Yeah, because one of the criticisms, obviously, of the prequels is that it was lightsaber tastic all the time. It's not a criticism. That's awesome. <laughs> you see, yeah, right, so you haven't seen one. Have you seen two episode two? I've seen two and three. Yeah. Yeah. Je- Grievous with with his lightsabers. <laughs> he had four, four. He had four lightsabers. Yeah. One dude, four lightsabers. Yeah, but he was like a cyborg. <laughs> he had like special combat software and like taking them off like Jedi that he'd killed and stuff. So I thought it was kind of cool. Really? Oh, I thought that was awful. That second movie is. Oh, we talked a lot about this last night, but that I find that second movie just to be one of the worst pieces of filmmaking I've ever experienced. And I'm I'm somewhat sympathetic to the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Sorry, the prequel trilogy. Like, I think one is a really fun movie. Uh, I think three is dark and interesting, I think, but I think two is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, now, uh, what do you think of Vader's appearance? Everything fine on that end? Mm, I mean, I, I didn't find him particularly scary, but maybe that's because Vader is so kind of played at this stage that we all know everything mm. about Vader and there's nothing nothing to be Yeah, I mean, experienced the, the force choke doesn't really have the same effect as it did yeah. way back then. But um, no, they, I think they played him really well. They, mm. they, his scene at the very end was, was brilliant, I thought. I thought with the, really where good. he starts fighting everyone. Yeah, where, where he's fighting the rebel, the rebel soldiers. See, this is a cool thing, right? So it's... they If you watch the original trilogy the, you know it's really stilted the, the fighting and it was okay. less about the fighting it was more about the actual like battle of characters as opposed to fighting yeah. but I really like in this new ones the way that they've kind of have found a nice middle ground between like not over the top stylistic Phantom Menace style fighting mm-hmm. and not really stagnant sort of just standing there and kind of yeah. whacking uh, Vader's thing was good like there was a like there was enough movement in him to suggest the, how angry he was and things, mm-hmm. uh, but not so much that you're kind of like, well, hang on now, he hasn't really got all his limbs. So they, I think they pitched it really, really well. And it just, yeah, he was just a badass. Like, he's mm-hmm. a total badass. Total badass. Um, it was cool at the end, the way it rapidly, you're rapidly swept up and taken into the beginning of A New Hope. Yes. Which was awesome. So, um, again, if you haven't seen it... Uh, the film ends with the, the characters broadcasting the the plans for the Death Star to the uh, the Rebel Alliance fleet, and um, then the they're on like a some kind of flagship, and the plans are put on a disc and like a proper like CD 
which yeah, is hilarious. Yeah, like, kind of like an old like zip drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rebel so- or the Imperial soldiers come on, and then Vader comes on, stormtroopers, and Vader come on, and they're like trying to pass it down the corridor, and like they're getting slaughtered, and they're just about keeping it out of the reach of the of, of the Empire, and then they bring it like you know through an airlock. And it's onto the blockade runner that gets stopped at the beginning of A New Hope. So I don't know how long that ship has been on the run. So th- this film could end like li- literally could be moments before. Yeah, literally moments. It could, it could be a couple of weeks or whatever, but it could be just be moments. The impression I got was moments. I was kind of like, I felt like I need to go and watch four right yeah. now because the, the continuity. Although, um, right. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got a flaw like applying too much kind of scientific thought to, to Star Wars. Yeah, that's a bit of a shaky premise to start on. Both, right? <laughs> it would be quite easy to get those plans again if you have faster than light travel, right? Yeah. It's been broadcast from a huge radio dish, right? <laughs> so you just like wait a week and then jump into hyper- hyperspace somewhere that's a light week away from the planet it's been broadcast from. Yeah, yeah, they don't just stop. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's weird. Like, wait, did they really need to? have the broadcast element could they have made it so that you don't need to broadcast you just had to steal the physical item the physical item had to be brought to the ship could do that That would. I mean there's no way that you could make something that couldn't be broadcast surely no but what I'm saying is could they have written it in such a way that they don't include the broadcast element because oh, like right. you said nerds like us might pick it apart and be like you can't really do that <laughs> um, maybe they haven't figured out maybe because it's like a science fantasy setting they haven't quite figured out the how communication that that work maybe it's the force maybe they're all like it's the, the force just makes it happen and we they don't understand like electro electromagnetism they don't understand any of that i don't know um friend, a friend of mine was talking to me the other day actually and i, I said to him that i'd um i'd, I'd give this a, a mention on the podcast cool do people, hi bill's friend do do people in star wars ever get jet lag do they ever get jet lag from all like the jumping around in hyperspace between planets and stuff, and the, like the change in the diurnal cycle? And does that ever come up? No, well, it doesn't come up in the movie yeah. at least. But that's that's interesting. I don't. Why would you get jet lag from jumping across the universe? Well, because you're going to like somewhere where it's going to be a different. Like day length, day length, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, and, okay, okay, okay. And also from like the, the fatigue of travel and all that kind of thing. Oh, I don't think the fatigue of travel. Like, well, how? What do you? What do you mean fatigue of travel? Like the tra- travel takes exactly zero time. Like, well, like you have to leave the planet and then. Oh, so I don't think hyperspace does take exactly no, zero time. I, I, there's stuff like set in hyperspace. We so. did this in an earlier podcast about galaxies. It's something like you can get across from one end of the galaxy to the other in a month. All right. So it's it's not a long time. Not a long time. Considering, like, the Milky Way in Star Trek, it's, like, to get from the Delta Quadrant to the, like, the corner of the XY axis of the Alpha Quadrant is, like, years? How many years did Voyager? Oh, Voyager said they'd be on it for years. Yeah. And they, well, they were meant to be, it was meant to be, like, 70 years in Voyager. Yeah, and they're going at, like, high warp. Yeah. So Star Wars is a small universe, very small universe. Mm. Um, but th- that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're used to being on a twenty four hour planet, and you go on something yeah. like sixty. But you know, this is interesting, right? Because uh, I don't have the data. But, or like, even if you turn up, like where it's like you leave Tatooine and you go to Coruscant. Coruscant, Jesus. Coruscantler. <laughs> um, and then it's like night wherever you end up on Coruscant, and like, does that never mess mess people up? Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
wonder. And then, of course, there's also planets that will have, like, day and night sides permanently. Like, if you have to go visit a tidal lock planet, you're, that has to screw with you. Yeah, but they're hardly, like, usually not going to be habitable, sure. Yeah, but this is Star Wars planet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, in Hardfire, yeah, you'd have to live in the Twilight Zone around the, around the edge. And even then, the, re- the weather would be shocking. The weather would be shocking. Do you know why, Bill? Can you tell me why? Have you been doing your research on science fantasy, uh, science hard side? Well, planet? no, just, like, one side is constantly yeah. getting heated, so... Uh, yeah, the ter- yeah, the weather would be terrible. Um, but yeah, in, in Star Wars, you can totally see there being a big, massive metropolitan city on the dark side. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's interesting about the about the about the jet lag. It's not something that's been explored. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I guess it doesn't really make you know it's not really all that relevant to a series about astral conflict, space samurai wizards. So. <laughs> Do you know where you know why no idea is actually born out like hardly any ideas come from nothing completely. Is there a precursor to Jedi somewhere? Where did he pull that from? Like I obviously you can go like you know martial arts films and things yeah. like that, but like I'm like I'd be surprised if the lightsaber was first invented by George Lucas. I'd I'm, sure there, I'm sure there's like laser swords or at least energy swords and other things. I'd imagine so, yeah. Um, be interesting to see the etymology of that, where it came from. Here's the th- here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, I do have reservations about the Rebel Alliance. Okay, their ethics, like their motivations. Well, it's just like it's 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 all a bit theological. Like it's they, like they seem like they might be a little bit of like kind of a religious fundamentalist army, because like they were all charging, you know, may the force be with you and stuff, like, which is. Well, it's a bit weird. It's, it's slightly better than the uh, Empire, though. No, well, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, I choose like a benevolent theocracy over literal planet murdering fascism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I mean, just, yeah, just there... as a matter of pure pragmatism. But you know, as a matter of idealism, it's, it's, I'd have my reservations about the. But it's space religion. It's entirely different. It's totally different than than Earthbound theology, space theology. It's it's great. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of the Empire, uh, I think both you and I had a little giggle at the location where we first meet Darth Vader. Yeah, Space Mordor. Space Mordor! <laughs> <laughs> what planet was that meant to be, I wonder? I don't know, but it's hilarious. So for the listeners who haven't seen it, like it is we come to this um this planet and it is it is effectively Mordor, so like scorched earth. There's lava everywhere, and then on the precipice of a cliff. There is a, a big giant tower, a la the all-seeing eye. Yeah, it was <laughs> really like really, really like Star Wars Tower. <laughs> I, I I even like did a double check and looked at the distance. Like, is there a second one? Is there? Oh, okay, <laughs> that was funny. That was weird. Uh, one thing I love though, and it kind of gets the child in me going every single time, is just I love the spread of locations in Star Wars. I love the way it goes from like lava yeah. planet to like water world to like. Nighttime, rainy planet, and then like the jungle planet. You're like, yes, I love that stuff. It's really cool. One of the reasons why I really liked when I was younger, really liked Phantom Menace, because I felt like I was being taken away on this like mm. in, it, not intergalactic, but interplanetary journey. Like you had like the underwater kingdom, and then you had like the leafy forest, and then you have the big built-up city, and it was super interesting for me. Um, and I still maintain Phantom Menace is. Best of what's the original. what's the big built up city? Is that just the city on Naboo? Yeah, just the city. Yeah, once you're in the city, you're you're kind of like you're in city mode. Like it's not, it's obviously not Coruscant. Yeah, it's, there's um, no city planet. There's, there's no, no city planet. Ecumenopolis. 
Ecumenopolis. Yes. Came up before. Yeah, it's a it's a planet spanning city. It's a megalopolis. But over an over entire planet. city. Ooh. Over an entire planet. What happens if you had a like uh, a city that spanned two planets? Same like this like imagine it was just the same governance? What would that be? Well it would be like two cities. No no, but ran by the same thing. Like But like like what happened? Like imagine there is like a planet and it has like a Trojan companion, and they were just kind of like, well, it's in the same orbit. This is all governed by the same thing. Well, that's like like having a, like a country that's two cities on two different islands. Like they'd still be two different cities. Hmm. There is, really, there is, I just want another crazy word. That's there, what I was fishing for. <laughs> there is uh, a binary ecumenopolis. Um, binary ecumenopolis. There, there is some setting. I can't remember what what, what it is. It's, I think it might be a manga. Where um, the Earth and the Moon, like, have both grown to the size, like, the size that they have, like, encompassed, like, stuff has been built, constructed on the Earth and the Moon, and it's just, like, one huge mass that encompasses both bodies. Oh. Yeah. So it's, like, urban spread, but through space. I think so, yeah. There was a little bit of that in Rogue One, I didn't, like... The two, the two asteroids at the two start. Asteroids oh, I thought that was class. But they were joined by buildings. Like, how does that give the structure integrity to hold the asteroids together? Unless, unless of course, space material. <laughs> like, some hand-wavy... Yeah, tritanium or something. Yeah, some or, or titanium. But, like, I was a bit like, mm, I don't know about that one. Well, it could be that it was a long asteroid that was hollowed out, or, like, had was excavated that way. Or it could be two that were joined together, like, and then constructed along that that cable. So, like a uh, what do you call those weights? You do bicep things with. I don't know what they're called. Dumb- dumbbells. Dumbbells. So, like dumbbell asteroids. Not quite. Not quite. Okay. I don't know. I, I kind of was like, it's it, it's weird to say that you were taken out of it in Star Wars. It's kind of taken out. I was like, mm, I don't know about that. It reminded me of the that. The, the book series I read when I was very young that got me into fantasy. Um, what was it called? The Edge Chronicles. Did you ever read The Edge Chronicles? No. There was a city, a floating city in it, called, I think it's like Scantifrax or Scantifrax, something like that. Okay. Uh, and I remember the description of it. In my brain, the image that was formed was kind of like that asteroid. And then immediately I was like, oh, this is a kid's thing now. This is not, this is not, right. I can't get into this. This is now a kid's thing. Um, I'm, sure, I'm going to Google the Edge Chronicles. Really great book, great thing. series of book uh, books. Um, if anyone, well, actually, if you're if you're above 10, they're not going to appeal to you. But uh, Yeah, illustrated by Chris Riddell. Yeah, and I'm familiar with the... And the illustrations are gorgeous. Just, yeah, he's he's a marvellous artist. So good. It, um, was on, it was on for Leaving Cert one time. Was it? Was it? In, it was one of the comprehension things. Leaving Cert being our final exam. In, yeah, in our end, end of school system exams. Yeah. Um, the Art Historian's big, a big fan of these, I think. The what? The Art Historian is a big fan of these. Really? Yeah. They're, they're brilliant. Yeah. They really is this, are wonderful. Is this the, the series that has Bander Bears? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, do I think we meet a Bander Bear in the first book? Uh, Beyond the Deep Woods, I believe it is? Yep. Yes. They're great books. And like it had, you know what I think about Sky Pirates? It had sky pirates. Love it. Like floating cities, buoyant rocks, like rocks that have buoyancy to it. Yeah. And it'd be tied down. And then like, yeah, sky pirates and these like mysterious twilight woods where everything's a bit creepy. Oh, so good. So good. And Twig was a great character. I love those books. I actually incidentally got into Discworld uh, because I was trying to refine the Edge Chronicles. 
And I was like, I remember it being, there was like, you could fall off the end of the world. So I went into like a bookshop and seen uh, Terry Pratchett and went, oh, okay, that's, that's, those are the books. And I read them and I was like, I don't remember them being like this, but I really like this. So I discovered Terry Pratchett entirely accidentally because of that. That's brilliant. Which is really cool. Um, and Pratchett, yeah, another, another great author. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so anything else about Rogue One? The music was... Uh, the music was pretty good. The music was forgettable. Hmm, we're a different opinion here. I thought I didn't. I have I have major qualms with current Hollywood music. I don't okay. know if you want me to get into it, but uh, I I I've, it was a bit like there's no there's nothing new in the music mm. that was that was interesting to me. There's like we heard Vader's team slow down. And that, that's that was good. But it's like at some stage we're going to need to have another striking sort of team. Yeah, which is not something we're like like I don't know did they did they have one for Kylo Ren. I think they just played Vader. Like, it seems that any bad person gets a Vader team to indicate that it's bad. But we need to... Actually, no, I will get into it. It's like a systematic problem in Hollywood at the moment where just nothing original is being made because there's... Do you hear about the epidemic of temp tracking? So what happens... It stopped me if this is boring. Uh, but what happens is editors will uh, cut, cut together drafts of a film using temporary music they've just taken from another film they enjoyed and they like that emotion... Um, and the problem is that when the composer comes in to make the, the actual score, is that very often the editor and the director will say, can you just make us that, but legal? So we're not going to get sued. So keep the same beats, the same emotion, the same tonality, that sort of thing. And so what's happening in a lot of Hollywood now is that this is just a regurgitation of like a handful of different tracks. You don't mm. have like whopping massive new themes that you could instantly sing yeah um which is a huge problem i think even in Mm. star wars it's the same thing we're not hearing great new music and the test for this is if you're into marvel can you sing back any of marvel teams and the answer to that is nearly always a resounding no even though there's a new marvel movie out nearly all the time you think there'd be plenty of opportunity for that music to riddle its way into common mm. common thing, but not because just like the lack of imagination in it. And I'm just I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going because I've got to think. And this also spills over into the Force Awakens. Like my criticism last year was the lack of imagination, this regurgitation of old ideas. Hollywood seems to be really stagnant and doesn't seem to want to do something daring and creative that could fail. You know, it's like we'll go safe. We know that if we rehash a new hope, it'll be good. People will love it. And we know that if we like give them the same tunes they're used to hearing, it'll be familiar and we'll love it. Mm-hmm. And the same color casting, like if we give them blue and orange, everyone loves Transformers. It'll be grand. But it's it's so there's a huge problem I have with that, and it kind of highlighted itself somewhat in Rogue One. Hmm. Sorry, that was a long. That was oh, a that's long, okay. That's a long okay. <laughs> um, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure I entirely agree with the thing about the music. I'll put a link to a really interesting uh, video essay about okay. like someone made does an analysis and they cut the various things together yeah. and like it's pretty compelling. I think yeah. if you look into it, and there are I think there are good composers there like um, Per McCreary. But the problem, the problem is though, the good composers like I'm not saying there's no good composers. Yeah, yeah. All the good composers are forced to make this happen, and there's various documentaries mm. you can find where good composers talk about this. Yeah. And they talk about, like, the torment of the mm. temp track. They, they... I suppose he's more of a TV composer than a film composer. And another further problem yeah. as well is that, like, the, the the beats of the film have been made to the temp music. So even if you go right. make something completely different, it's like, well, you can't do that because you have to recut the entire thing. 
Right. So they're being really forced into it. So, mm-hmm. so I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's not good. Film music is not in a good place. I don't think at the moment. But so I was a bit disappointed to hearing just like slow down version of Vader's team. That's the big, the big musical moment in the film. You're like, nah, that doesn't, that doesn't cut it for me. I'm not sure how much I agree with or care about this idea that there's no originality in Hollywood. I've become I've become skeptical of it recently. I'm less interested in your agreeing and more interested in your caring. Why would you not care about it? I don't I don't understand. That seems there's a disconnect there. I think I think it may be overstated. Um and like no one were people complaining in the 50s when like someone had made like the 100th Frankenstein movie. I'm sure they were. I don't think so they were. And do, do people do people complain about this in theatre? It's like, oh god, the theatre is doing more bloody Shakespeare. How many times do we need to see Shakespeare and Ibsen? Like, just because you're doing something that's been done before doesn't mean you can't do something new with it. Yeah, but the problem is that there isn't something new being made with it. Like they're all they everything seems to be following <clears throat> like the, the, the wild trodden road, the formulaic sort of thing. There's nothing I don't I can't name a film in recent years that has been like a box office success that is like innovative. Inception. That's that's like six, seven years ago. It's a long time ago. Okay. You know, like people were saying this stuff then as well. Though. People were saying, "Oh, it's all superhero movies and rehashes and reboots." Yeah, and even if, in, but even if, if Inception is a, is a uh, a counteragent to my point, mm-hmm. that doesn't render my point invalid. Like, sure, yeah, every so often there's going to be a film that comes up. But what's important is is the majority of what is being served to us. Uh, derivative in nature and then I don't, I don't think the majority of anything in film has ever been innovative though like 90% of everything is rubbish <laughs> that, that is true right? that everything is rubbish uh, I don't know maybe maybe because I was a kid of the 90s I thought films in the 90s were an awful lot more diverse and there's more to them because I was a kid and didn't understand broader context that could be the case I don't know I've yet to think about mm. it but there's there is something new, I think. I don't really have empirical data to back this up, but it it seems there's something new to this like massive franchisation of things. Like this never ending franchise. Like like before like Star Wars, the original trilogy, three movies. Mm-hmm. That was the franchise. But now it's like how many how many superhero movies? Well it was the franchise and then there was the comic books and then there was you know, there was like y- yeah. there was expanded universe from the get go. Right, right, but it's built over into different forms. But what I'm saying right. is, like, I think there's a new thing where a company buys another company and goes, "We will make a video, a, a movie a year mm-hmm. about this." Like, I think that's weird. I think that's strange. I really weird. like it. I really like the idea of having like a living, evolving universe, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where consequences have, where actions have consequences between movies. Okay, yeah, that's a valid point. But it's everything seems to just be very formulaic. It's just I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think. I don't think the Marvel films are formulaic. What I've seen of the superhero movies, they they seem to be incredibly dull, and they're just the same worn, trodden path. Well, and I mean, then every so often, like I don't know, Iron Man meets up with someone else, and it's like, oh my god, Iron Man is meeting up with 
Batman. Isn't that hilarious? Or isn't that great? And, and it's like, no. I, I would disagree. I'm not interested. <laughs> I mean, like, the two Thor films, the first two Thor films are different genres. The first Thor film is a science fiction film. The second Thor film is a fantasy film. Or maybe the other way around. Okay. Like, they, they're doing different things. The Captain America film, the, the original one, is a... Is the Captain America film is a really rubbish, but it is a war film. It's a, it's a World War Two film, and then I've the seen that one, yeah. Winter Soldier is a spy movie. It's like a James Bond film. Yeah, but this and they're is, telling different kinds of stories. Uh, but this sounds all a bit like like, like committee design stuff. Like, what did a kid, what should we give the kids to come to the cinema? Let's make a spy movie for them. Like, it does. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't get the impression that there's like actual artists working on these things and like really making something of integrity it just seems like really making something that is this massive behemoth of a thing that will continuously attract people to come to the cinema like could like movies counterpoints to those movies that i don't think could exist in the current um climate would be like the likes of wally for example uh, a movie where there's no dialogue or fighting or anything for like 40 minutes like those kind of special cinematic moments would they happen Less and less. Or like Winter's Bone, that's a great film. Like these sort of... These are recent films. Wally's not recent, man. Wally's only 10 years old. Only? But time moves so quickly, like... But I don't, I don't think Hollywood was that different 10 years ago. Well, you see, I think there's where we differ, I think. I think, right. I think this, this dawn of this new uh, acquisition age where you acquire a brand and it's just like the intent is endless movies. I think that is new. I, uh, I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. But... I seem to remember before it was kind of like you'd make a sequel if the original did well and you could keep it going. Mm. You never set out from the get-go to just make endless ones. And I think that's inherently different where you live in an inherently different uh, zeitgeist at the moment. Um, but I could be wrong. Mm. I could be totally wrong because this, this is like I don't have a study to back so this is just my feelings from mm. what I see uh, listed in cinemas. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what listeners think. Yeah. Um, I think I think maybe we're maybe agreeing a little bit more than we seem to be. It's just that I'm more cynical about it, like, from from the start. Well, you know, it's rubbish anyway, so it was just as rubbish before. <laughs> yeah, and I also bear in mind that I spent a good deal of maybe, so, six, maybe five and ten years ago watching nothing but independent movies. So, maybe that's clouded. Go on, say it. Hipster! <laughs> <laughs> hipster um, alert but well, no but like from watching all those movies and then stopping because I just don't have the time to seek out all these things mm. um, maybe that's clouding my judgement because I'm thinking before it was all independent movie everywhere which maybe it was, probably wasn't um, I don't know I don't know but I kind of wish Hollywood would be more like independent movies make daring content that's like Top provoking, really top provoking, like proper, like not just like get people in seats, but proper, like causes us to like question our, our assumptions and things like that. You know, what, what you want art to do. I mean, sometimes, but on, like, a, you know, what's wrong with just being entertained? Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. But what, what we're arguing over here is the percentage of, of when, percentage of top provoking to just like frivolity. Right. Like, you need you need both, definitely. But what I'm, what I'm saying is bad is that everything seems to be just like, let's just entertain me. Can. Can Hollywood be thought provoking? Really, though, like something that meaningfully could something that size, yeah, ca- capitalistically meaningfully be thought provoking yeah, rather than you. You could make a strong argument that you have to go to indie film, yeah, for that to do that. And I realize it sounds so hipster, but and I, I don't necessarily think there's a problem there. They, they serve different roles. Like, yeah, yeah, one just turns out like entertainment, and one is like, mm, 
<laughs> you have to watch it ten times because yeah, you can't understand what yeah, they say first time round. Like that sort of stuff. Like the concept of having to watch a film twice to get it doesn't happen in Hollywood. Like, like there are loads of independent films I've watched and been like, did it ever? Did it ever? Yeah. Don't know. Probably not. Probably not. That's your point. And that's kind of where I'm coming yeah. from. This, yeah. like, it's yeah. like. I, I feel also a lot of people who say stuff like this are the kind of people who think, you know, oh, no good music was made after 1990 or whatever arbitrary date they choose and culture is so terrible now. And I, But I don't... I find that in wrong in the music sense because I still think there is really good music we made. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. It, just, yeah. it, it seems to feed into... Uh, this similar kind of idea that like fetishized nostalgia. Yeah, fetishizing nostalgia. I, and I'm 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 aware of the fetishizing nostalgia thing, the tendency mm. to do that. And I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to like mm. analyze that correctly. Yeah. Um but I, I don't know. Just I don't know. I'm just not happy with it. I'm sorry. That's okay. Rogue One episode turns into Edgar's descent against But I guess they, on the other hand they are kind of engaging in fetishized nostalgia by making Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so you, can, you can't really, you can't win. Uh, what did you think about the, um, like the aesthetics of how it was placed? Like there's no crawl and things like that in Rogue One. Fine, Fine with that? You're totally Fine cool with, with being like, it, it being like explicitly a separate yeah. deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not main sequence. It's, it's another story. This has made me uh, think that these Rogue One stories, or these, sorry, these anthology stories could be much, much better than the original one because we discussed mm-hmm. in cinema yesterday about like the constant spoilers, the mm-hmm. concept of having like near the whole cast die at the end is like so refreshing. Isn't that yeah. like in a, in a mainstream movie, like big blockbuster movie to just like everyone dies? Especially That's- Vader. <laughs> yeah but that that was really refreshing like turns out we're all the death star we're all <laughs> and we're all already dead oh, there's an independent film waiting to happen <laughs> um but that was cool that was cool Jin and uh, i keep thinking it's lando, lando cassian cassian uh Jin and cassian just die that's great yeah so happy for that and then uh forrest whitaker's dead uh the shower monk guy is dead yeah his his body with the with the red canister yeah. on his back died. Uh, I liked him. I liked the the heavy dude. It was uh, Zhang Wen. Um, well, like, yeah, he was clearly like if it was a video game, he was clearly the heavy character with the machine yeah, guns he and the was, rockets. He was the barbarian. He was Barrett from Final Fantasy Seven. Did you get that reference? I would have never thought of Barrett as a barbarian. Really? Because he, he, he's not he's not Malay. He's he's got a handgun, like a hand. His hand is a gun, not a yeah. But he's gun. like he's like a he's a big lad that. Causes damage, like yeah, but I didn't think of. I I think of barbarian in very kind of like physical terms rather than ranged attacks. Well, hang on then, let's stick it off. Sarah said, "Is there a barbarian in seven? The seven have a bar- seven doesn't have a barbarian, um, because your man Cloud. How much do you know about seven? By just talking? No, no, I, I know, okay. I know all the characters. Uh, <laughs> Cloud, not barbarian, obviously. Because he's a bit bishy. Bishy. He's a bit like kind of pretty. <laughs> he's a bit pretty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have. None of the female characters could be described as being barbarian. No, I guess not. Vincent is like a rogue. He'd be definitely be a rogue what? archetype. Shapeshifting. Is he a shapeshift? Is Vincent a shapeshifter? Like the vampire dude. Yeah, his his limit breaks is that he he turns into <gasps> different classical monsters. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, and then obviously the cat. Final Fantasy VII spoilers as well. Apparently, <laughs> um, I cannot wait for them to make that. 
Did you hear that they're making it? The remastered version. The remastered. Did you hear that they're making Oh, this could be apocryphal, but I, I hear that they're making it on separate discs. So it's going to be massive. Or just for nostalgia that it's going to be on separate I, discs. I, I, I would imagine it's money grab, which is awful. As in separate releases? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that I don't know, but I'm assuming they just charge for these four things. Well, they didn't used to. Uh, did they not? Like, was, I, there, was there a markup on PS2 games or whatever that came with three or four discs? In not significant. It wasn't four times the price anyway. Oh, okay. God, I remember those days. I love telling little people about those, about those days. You know, you have multiple discs and you can't finish the game until you put in the other disc. And people are like, discs? It's hilarious. Uh, the yeah, and then the 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 amusement park creature in seven. He's oh, that was weird. Yeah, yeah. He's obviously not. He's, he's not in it again. No, no, but he's not a barbarian. Oh, sorry. I get so I maybe we were to shoehorn a an archetype maybe, in there. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean she's, there's also not like a chef. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that most common of fantasy. Yeah, but you know what I mean, like, it's, it's yeah. Um, uh, I always saw him with barbarian. Okay, just because I I I think I have a much more simplistic view of things. If it was a big muscly lad, he's a barbarian. That's it. Right. So kind of like yeah, not one to think things through, more to like react to violence first than mm. barbarian. Um, but anyhow, yeah. So the guy with the red canister, that red canister was weird. <laughs> Very strange, I thought. Dude, like um, the one he carried around. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's a bit cumbersome, but his gun was cool. Oh. This is another criticism I have of the movie, and I I, I told this to you uh, yesterday. Um, was the sound design wasn't very Star Warsy, right? Like the sound of weapons, yeah, was pretty poor compared to compared to even the prequels, because that was always a, like that proper nostalgia thing with Star Wars, hearing the sort yeah. of like as like yeah, exactly. Well, no 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 lightsabers, but yeah, but it was part of the the previous ones, exactly. So, but there was the weapon design wasn't that great. I don't think. Sound design. Yes, Bill has a question. He has raised his hand, dear do, listener. Do you know that really cute story about Ewan McGregor? About Ewan McGregor? No. So he's Obi-Wan in the... He is Obi-Wan, In, yeah. in the, the prequel trilogies. Uh, when they, Can I interrupt you? No. No. Yeah, go on. What do, what do you think of uh, Ewan McGregor in the prequels? Fine. Well, I like Ewan McGregor. I think Same grace. Like, I think he's a fine actor. Did a great job. Yeah. Like, he's one of the redeeming things of those, those movies. But anyhow, continue. Um, when they were filming Phantom Menace, they kept having to reshoot any of his fighting scenes because he would make lightsaber noises as he was fighting because he was just so excited <laughs> to be fighting with lightsabers. And <laughs> Isn't that adorable? <laughs> and this, this is why he comes off so well because he was really, really into it. Like yeah. He was like, I want to make the best possible Star Wars movie and he like adored it. Yeah. Um, I love when you hear stuff like that because he, so he was obviously a huge Star Wars fan yeah. and got to be in it. And same with... Um, Peter Capaldi becoming the Peter? Doctor. He he was he's the current Doctor in Doctor Who. Oh, I he's like the twelfth Doctor, I think. Um, and like if you look through like the archives of the Doctor Who fan club and stuff, he wrote letters to the various Doctor really? actors when he was a kid, like right. when it was originally broadcast, and he's That's... been like a Doctor Who fan his entire life, and then he, you know he. That's gets, cool. and he's a fine actor and he gets to become the doctor that's the way to do things <laughs> the definitely the way to do things I think, I think is he still the doctor I think he is I, again I don't I don't do the doctor who yeah, I'm, much I'm, to the dismay of some of our listeners I, I I can't get into it really Um. yeah anything else on anything else on Rogue One do you have anything else to discuss 
I think I've gone through my main points. Um, Point out Mordor. Talk about sound design. Oh yeah, that, that's it. That planet's called Bactra, I think. Bactra. That's the Mordor planet. The Mordor it's, planet it's the one. It's the one Bactra. from the end of episode three. No. What? No, the one at the end of episode three is that not Mustafar. Oh, maybe that is it, yes. Yeah. I know, here, Bill. Sorry, I read this several are, minutes ago and I've forgotten. <laughs> there are many, many lava planets in the universe. You can't just be all like, oh, it's the same place. Like, no, I read that it was the same place. On the internet, Edgar. Oh, you read it still? So, it's not, so the one at the end of three is not Mustafar. It is Mustafar. What? It's the same one as at the end of three, which I thought it said in this article it was called Bactra. Oh, okay, so it was Mustafar. It's on Mustafar, yes. In this one. The in castle Rome. is on Mustafar. The tower? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to cut you. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was thinking he's floating in a Bacta tank, and that's the word that stuck in my mind. He's floating in a Bacta tank? What's a Bacta tank? Oh, that's the like, almost cryogenic Yeah, th- th- I think it's the same thing as Luke is in on Hoth. Oh, yeah. How are you with Star Wars locations? How are you with Star Wars characters? We had a little bit of a, star- a character off in, in private messages at one stage. No, we didn't. We did? You did? <laughs> I was just making things up. <laughs> I, for, for, for the listeners, I was texting a whole load of obscure Star Wars characters to Bill, and Bill was texting back uh, random names that we just entirely made up. And it was funny because I thought I was confusing Bill, but I came out of the uh, altercation utterly confused. Uh, at what point, um, I probably have to cut this because there's no context, but at what point did you figure out I was on both Star Wars names? Oh, after like two or three. Really? Yeah. That's oh, you did well. That was good because I think I opened with some pretty obscure ones. Uh, hold on. You're finding them. I'm finding them, yeah. I opened with the for the listeners. I opened with the classic Yarl proof because Yarl proof is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Yarl proof? He's the guy with the long neck on the Jedi Council. So you sent me Yarl proof. Yeah. Uh oh, God, it's, it's gone now. Uh, Co Bibble. Co Bibble. Do you know who Co Bibble is? <laughs> he's in the episode one. He's in one. He's a politician or something. He's a politician. Yeah. He's famous for a certain line. Uh, now, oh, now I need to get the line right. Uh, the, and negotiations. They cut off all communications. Oh dear. <laughs> so, something like that. Like, it rhymes, and it's just, it's just not good. Zam Weasel. Zam Wessel Weasel. Yeah. She, do you know who that person is? Uh, that is the shapeshifter from start of. Uh, Attack of Clones. Oh, yeah. Actually, yes, because yeah, we were talking Jumbo, about her yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Space Jimmy Smiths. I'm going to assume that's a made-up one. Uh, Jimmy Smith. No, that, that's a Star Wars minute joke. Uh, Jimmy Smiths is... he. Pl- I don't know which character he plays, but he, he's an actor. Okay. And then because he's in Star Wars, he's now Space Jimmy Smiths. In the same way of Space Dubai. Yeah. And Space Mordor and all that. What Did you did you see that thing I, I posted a couple of weeks ago? I suggested that astronauts be allowed to use astronaut as part of their given name. Like, as in Astronaut Edgar. As in Astronaut Edgar Grunwald. Yeah. Isn't that a great idea? They're not. Can I just write A-S-T- A-S-T-R-O dot and continue on with Edgar Grunwald? I would totally. I mean, I think like I think it should like be a legal thing that you like you get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I, subconsciously that's that's a joke from Thirty Rock that I'd forgotten was a joke from Thirty Rock, but I actually think it's it's it's, it's genuine. What other what other professions could you do that with? No, just I mean, astronaut. You get to go to space. I mean, I think if you get to go to space, you get to remind people about us as much as you want. Mm. Up to a point. No, 
Like, no, but eventually it'll just be so commonplace that it wouldn't be. Oh, yeah. Was, and yeah, we'd look yeah. back on it and be like, yeah. wasn't it weird that they, like, celebrated such a thing? It was, yeah. like, of societal importance that you were, like, Astro Edgar. Yeah. Um. But, um, yeah, anyhow, so, so do you have anything to... Uh, um, Anything to add on Rogue One? Scoundrel... I keep thinking Scoundrel Prime. Scoundrel Singular. Oh, that's a good one as well. <laughs> Rapscallion Prime. Rapscallion Prime. That sounds like a planet. Rapscallion Prime. Home of home of space Eddie Rockets. I don't know. I'm just location. Um, yeah, anything else? Um, no, I think that, that covers most of it. Um, I didn't have any particular issue with the music. I mean, I, I, I thought they used the Vader leitmotif well. I don't tend to pay attention to music in films anyway. It's not That's a, interesting. Yeah. Considering your composer. <laughs> That's weird. I'm like I'm just like like paying attention to the story. The music does its role in the background, but it doesn't do it consciously for me. It's just okay. it does, you know. And I don't like emotionally react to music and things anyway. So <laughs> that uh, in and of itself is an entire podcast. To be fair, the analyzing why you don't emotionally react to music given your chosen field, which I think is hilarious. Uh, but there, uh, there there are exceptions, but as a rule, I don't tend to any music that is in any way associated with uh, Die Hard gets you going. No. <laughs> Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing else to add. I don't think so. Um, I, I think I'm, 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 I'm all out. I thought how they, how they destroyed the, the, the shield around Scarish was pretty cool. Actually, I, 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 I was grinning like a child at that. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. So to, to explain, they, they drove a uh, small ship. Yeah, a hammerhead Corvette. A hammer. That was weird. The Corvette name because it's an actual car. But it's also like it's a. Naval designation, I think. Oh, right. it still was weird though, because I think most people would associate it with the car. Hmm. But anyhow, our they, prince, the prince Corvette. No, the singer Prince. He's a song called Little Red Corvette. Oh, does he? Yeah. All right, and the vegetable. But anyhow, so, <laughs> so, uh, so they drive a hammerhead. Hmm. Hold on. Drive. Fly. Pilot. Pilot. They pilot. Steer. <laughs> They pilot a hammerhead uh, Corvette into a destroyer. Into a disabled star destroyer. Yeah, and they like they use it. Uh, they ram it into a another another destroyer. Star destroyer. It's not not disabled, so they disable the second one. Yeah, and then the two destroyers plummet towards the surface of space Dubai, uh, which is enshrouded in a shield. Yeah, and they use they the, crash into the shield gate and generator and stuff. They, they crash into the thing that generates the shield. Yeah, and then they open. They punch a hole in it, and it's just. Dope. It's Which really is cool, cool. yeah. It's really really cool. Cool. That that fight, the fight around space, space Dubai was a tiny bit prequely, like a tiny bit. Like there's a lot going on, on screen. Like there was a gazillion Tie Fighters that uh, that came out of a port at one stage. Remember that? Yeah, that was great. It was too many Tie Fighters, man. <laughs> Do you know they had that? They had that. Someone posted up a um a spoof of the trailer for Episode Seven. Right. They were like the George Lucas special edition of that trailer and where they just inserted a whole load of crap on the screen. And one of the gags was that they inserted like 20 TIE Fighters into the Millennium Falcon thing. Uh, and then I was immediate, I immediately thought of that when I was watching. I was like, there's too many TIE Fighters here. Oh, right. God, too many TIE Fighters. Um, what did you think of the droid in, in Rogue One? Um, yeah, the droid. That's really cool. The, is, he an, is he an assassin droid? I... In Clone Wars, they had a droid that was black like that, and they, from the little I've seen of Clone Wars, they used him. They used them as assassin droids, Could like be. special ops sort of thing. 
Uh, his name... K2. ...was not good. I don't think so. Because it's like the mountain. And he's big. That's what I got. Like K2 the mountain. It's like, oh, okay, that's a bit... Yeah. I didn't think that at all. Really? Not at all. Okay. Well, he's, he's a security droid. He's a security droid. So for, for the listeners who haven't seen it, there's a big, jo- like, nine foot, something like that. Yeah. Huge black droid um, who is... He had his circuits redone or whatever. He was reprogrammed. He was reprogrammed. And he's like Dr. Obvious, but in a really funny way. Not yeah. in a Rick Ollier sort of doctor. Oh, you don't know my reference. <laughs> and uh, not in a sort of bad, like, move the plot along, Dr. Obvious. He was just yeah. really cutting and sarcastic. Yeah. And, like, proper laugh out loud moments mm-hmm. uh, in the film by him. And his his very first appearance was cool when the, she's, um, when Jen is being liberated from the, the prison camp and like from, from the the prisoner transport and the you know the the rebel soldiers come in and like undo her handcuffs and stuff and she beats them up and she like jumps out the back of the thing and he just catches her in midair or he just like puts his hand up and stops her in midair because he's a giant metal robot <laughs> and she's a human bam i thought that was hilarious and then he goes congratulations you're being rescued and she lies like in pain on the floor <laughs> Yeah. And he's unable to like make the connection as to why that might be inappropriate. I assumed that he he could make the connection. Oh, he's he just he's just, being... just being a jerk. Oh, you know what? One where uh, they're fighting in the streets of Mecca, and uh, they're like, uh, she shoots one of those droids, but it's an Imperial droid. Yeah, and then behind that droid is the good the good guy, yeah. like K two, and he's like, "Did you know that wasn't me?" <laughs> There's some good movies. Also, at the end, I don't know why it's popping ahead, but at the end, like everyone clapped. In the cinema? I've never been yeah. at a movie. Like in real life, not all the characters in the film <laughs> clap at the end. We saw it, and I clapped, and then no one clapped, and then I stopped, and then someone else clapped, and then everyone started. <laughs> That's what I've never seen that before. Really? I've never been in a cinema where people clapped. And it I didn't, think I have. didn't happen last time. This is a better film. Mm. I think this is objectively a better film. Um. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this already on this podcast, but I think these could be the more interesting versions of of it because you can kill characters off, you can do yeah. bad stuff. Well, they're a bit limited in their next two choices of, of the anthology films. Why? Uh, well, do you want to know what they're about? Is this, yeah, it's spoiler side of the century, so who cares? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they're gonna, the first one's going to be about Han, and the second one's going to be about Boba Fett. Yeah, but why can't they make a movie about Jarl Poof? Yeah, okay, but in the next two, I, I'm saying, they're a bit more limited. Oh, okay, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, like, they can kill off some of the characters, but they can't kill them off all, like they did pretty much in this one. Um, yeah, so they can't kill off Han at the end, because... Yeah. Spoilers, spoilers, he's, he's dead. <laughs> uh, and there's one about Boba Fett, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I think that they might not be as successful no. as Rogue One. No. Um, there could be a large... Large thing to do with it. I don't know how many people know that this is not actually the main Star Wars. I'm I, not sure. I reckon there's a massive contingent of people who think this is just Star Wars. Yeah. Because I, I never fails to amaze me what people like the ignorance of people. That sounds really harsh, but like not knowing things. Yeah. Where it seems it seems so painfully obvious to me, but um, I I'm I'm on board with the whole project. I think it's it's a good thing to do. It, for me. I can't remember if I said this in the recording already. Um, doing things outside the main sequence, first of all, it gives you story freedom. You can do yeah. stuff like you can kill off characters. Yeah. Um, and second of all, it makes the universe feel more real to me. That it's not just about these small groups of people, these like families. Yeah. And especially if it does turn out that like everyone in the sequels is like descended from the from the original 
what do you think the probability is that the main storyline is going to stick very closely to the original trilogy? I don't know. You don't know? No. I'm I'm not entirely hopeful that they'll do something yeah. amazing in the next one. Like, we could literally start on an ice planet. And that's going to hurt <laughs> if we just start on an ice planet. Yeah. Uh, but I could see it happening. And then, like, because it's so easy to sell, like, you should be like, oh, it's all cyclical. And, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But um, that that fills me with trepidation, and more reason why I think the anthology films are much better. Yeah, much much better. Um, clearly though, they do need to make a Yarapoof movie. Sorry, remind me who Yarapoof is. The guy with the neck. The guy with the neck. Oh, God. Or Kid Fisto. Is he the guy with the what's the terrible name? He's the guy with the dreads. He's like the tentacly dread guy in Attack of Clones. The green fella. He's Kid Fisto, I think. Doesn't he die? Yeah, but you can tell it's like his growing up story. Like, oh, okay, yeah. He comes from a, you know a broken home and a kid done well on the streets of space. Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> I'm gonna um, Google Yarl Poof to see do I recognize him. Yarl Poof. <laughs> oh, only vaguely. Okay, yeah. He he's very prominent in the Jedi Council because one of the problems with the with the prequels the size of him. The size of them, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that they always keep returning to the same locations. So you yeah. always see Yarrowpoof is, is in it a lot. I don't know if Yarrowpoof, uh, what you call it, fights in the gladiator arena. Be interesting. I don't think we've seen the long neck guy fight. Huh. Oh, and they also need to make an ontology film about Ben Quadraneros. You know, the, the pod racer guy with the funny potato head? No. Oh, I you don't. haven't seen one. I'm sorry. I don't know the pod racers. <laughs> And I refuse to watch the film. You know, you know who Seb Bulba is. Who? Seb Bulba. Seb Bulba. Seb Bulba. No. Really? From I know you haven't seen one, but like that's a character that's kind of uh, has some notoriety to him. You never Google. They should make an anthology film about him because he was like a real nasty, like gangster. Seb. Seb Bulba. I know the oh. face. Yeah, yeah. Like the, he was a really interesting character and a really cool design. And, like, he's a real nasty piece of work, so you can make a real, like, seedy, gangstery Sebulba anthology movie. Okay. They're not going to do that, obviously, because no mm. one's going to touch the prequels. Yeah. And um, the closest we'll get is McGregor coming back in. There's, there was talk of him, of getting him in, just to tie everything together, and the fans won't be um, yeah. offended, because everyone loves McGregor, and everyone loves what he did in the prequels. So, so here's the thing, is... So there's eight films. There's eight films. Are... R2 and 3PO, the only characters that are in all eight films? It's likely. They are in all eight films, aren't they? Yeah, I'm trying to think. They're in all of the original ones. He's, like, they are in Phantom Menace. They are in Phantom Menace. They get yeah. built in Phantom Menace or something. Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, what one does, like, R2 is fully assembled. Okay. C-3PO is not. But, yeah. Does he appear in it? Yeah, 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 he appears in it, yeah, yeah. He's in it. And then they remain in the... They're definitely in three, because they're in the opening sequence of three. And they have that stupid... Sh- no, they all, the opening sequence of three? What's the opening sequence of three? They're on a spaceship, and or two sprays oil on the ground. And oh! Oh, God. Oh, it's awful. And then they're, they're also in that terrible sequence in the factory, the bug factory, where, where R2-D2 has little rockets. don't remember that. Uh, the yeah, they must be in all all of them. Yeah, I, and again, I said this earlier. I don't like the way C-3PO made a, the two of them made an appearance in this one. That didn't bother me too much. Yeah, it bothered me. I don't, C-3PO is the original trilogy's Jar Jar Binks. 
I don't. It's just he's he's less racist, uh, but he's he's there just for like stupid comic relief. And right. I would rather him not be there. There's no point. Like, oh, they could they could say they could have went down the Wally route in the original one and just have have all the beeps and bloops be the only means of communication from R2D2, and then you can just empathize with with beeps and bloops. You don't need the translator there. Like, it's just stupid. but anyhow. I mentioned Peter Capaldi earlier. Have you ever seen Remind me again, the, the guy who's playing the current Doctor in Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever seen a TV show called The Thick of It? It's no. um, a British political satire, kind of, where he plays a, a government spin doctor. No, never seen this. Um, there is a marvellous, um, absolutely marvellous clip from it, from uh, one of the later seasons, where he tries to describe Star Wars... But he doesn't know enough about Star Wars. I I think you should watch it right now. I think you should watch it, and I should sit beside you and watch it. Okay. See so. you in a bit, listeners. I watched that episode. I, it's the whole thing. The whole thing is on Netflix. Um. I watched that episode and I had to rewind and watch th- that like 30 second bit about five times. I just, and like take like a, a good full minute break in between because I, I just broke myself <laughs> laughing so much. Or 2 was a pedal bin. <laughs> yeah, like a tinfoil pal in a pedal bin. Yeah. So good, so good. I think you should put that in the show notes for any listeners who haven't seen Definitely, that. Definitely, yeah, yeah, totally, will do. And if you like incredibly foul-mouthed British political satire I'd highly recommend the thick of it in the, the thick of it uh, so yeah I, I think I think that's everything that's everything certainly everything I have in Rogue One yeah uh, do you want to discuss holidays as in like Christmas say hi to everyone for Christmas and- yeah yeah sure um, <laughs> have a nice whatever winter festival you celebrate listeners Winterville do you hear Winterville cause uh, outrage in, in Britain not sure the city of Birmingham uh, was like, we'll have this thing called Winterville around Christmas. And some newspaper, I'm going to say the Daily Mail because it's Presumably. it's probably the Daily Mail, uh, took it as like an attack on Christmas, you know, usual stuff like, you know, yeah. you can't celebrate Christmas anymore. And it was one of the most apocryphal things ever because Winterville was not like a sort of... Um, multicultural version of Christmas that the, the, the Birmingham City Council came up with. It was kind of like a collection of events that ran from like early November to late January and they all just put it together under the brand of Winterville because it happened in winter. Yeah. Winter winter festival. And But the Daily Mail just took it as you're destroying Christmas. And like completely yeah. made up an entirely different narrative. So I like to... When people For go, a change. Well, yeah, when people go, happy Christmas, I'm like, happy Winterville. And then you always have someone who's like, Liberal. <laughs> Merry happy. Very happy. Yeah, there's this whole thing you can't say Merry Christmas. Who can't? Apparently that's not happy Christmas is is the more like Who cares? I don't care, but apparently there's a, there's a secular thing like Merry Christmas is 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 non secular and happy Christmas is secular and But you're, it's Christmas, so you're not actually really yeah, being I secular don't, anyway. I don't care at all. Like I I say happy Christmas out of habit, like, but people have been like that is the correct way of speaking. I'm like, I don't think that's entirely true. So it's just, just you're just saying a nice thing for Christmas to someone. Can you explain to me? You know, we around this time of year we have Hanukkah. That's a Jewish festival. It's the Jewish festival. Yeah. What's Kwanzaa? I'm not sure. Let me check. I think what Kwanzaa is is it's an invented um, festival um, for African Americans to have who aren't who are, aren't Christian, 
but because of slavery and stuff, had their like actual heritage taken from them. So it's a kind of a reconstructed winter festival to 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 replace the kind of the Christian narrative. Oh. That's that's a bit of a guess. Now I could be wrong. Yeah, no. So I I, I was right. You were uh, right. Um. Uh, it offers African heritage and African American culture, um, and it goes from the twenty sixth of, Gen- of December to January the first, and culminates in a feast and, and gift giving. And cool. it was invented in the sixties. Cool. Yeah. So Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Christmas. What else is happening on this time? Ramadan. Ha- Solstice. Oh, for pagans. Yeah. Is Ramadan? Ramadan Ramadan's goes finished. by the lunar calendar, so it's, it's a, a different time each like solar oh, year. Okay. It moves around. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh, okay. Well, just anyone who's celebrating all of the, all those festivals. All yeah, those I'm, sure, I'm sure there's other ones as well. I don't I'm know sure what they all are, there. but you know, have fun with all of them. <laughs> Let us know. Uh, yeah, happy Christmas, everyone. Um, and we will see you, hopefully this will be, hopefully you'll be listening to this on Christmas Day. I intend on having this released for Christmas Day. Uh, um, so when you have to, when you have to deal with in-laws you don't want to see, you can just go somewhere quiet and listen to listen us. Listen to Star Wars. Listen to st- us talk about Jarl Poof. <laughs> um, but yeah hopefully hopefully you'll have it for Christmas and we will be back uh, in the new year yes 2017, 2017. the year of the Artifexian the year of the Artifexian yeah <laughs> oh 2016 is drawn to a close finally no more deaths there's going to be no more deaths now from now until the end of time they've all happened in 2016 we've, we've got good. our we've got our quota done like that's good yeah it's <laughs> good yeah. Uh, the yeah, so have a very happy Christmas to everyone, um, and a happy New Year, and we will see you in two thousand seventeen. Edgar out. Edgar out. <laughs>